If you're joining me for the very first time, my name is Dr. Nima Romani, and by uh, training, I am not an expert in, uh, I'm not an expert as far as an academic. I'm not a um, psychotherapist. I don't diagnose or treat conditions. I don't give out medication. So I'm giving a disclaimer. This broadcast comes from my experience as a healthcare provider, as a chiropractor who saw 20 years ago, <laughs> well, let's say two years into my practice. So I was two or three years into my practice noticing that stress-related problems were actually at the helm of why people were coming to see me. And I thought, okay, well, instead of just talking about their back problems, their neck issues, instead of just talking about, you know, headaches and neck pain and giving them stretches, after a while you get to know these people and you understand their relational dynamics. You start to get close to them. You start to hold space for sometimes their emotions. They lose pets. You develop a relationship. I developed a relationship with, with my patients and started to have this desire to address the underlying root cause of why patients were coming to see me in the first place. And so slowly um, after you know being frustrated, noticing some people just don't get better. Why is it that some people get better and some people just don't? I started noticing certain characteristics from the people who had chronic health issues. It was weird. It's almost like a profile. It's like an avatar that they had. Nobody talked about it, but uh, people like Gabor Maté, his book, When the Body Says No, The Cost of Hidden Stress, he noticed it as a physician in the downtown east side working with people with addictions and adverse childhood events and healthcare issues. He was noticing that, but nobody around me was. I was just noticing this, and I had this deep desire to reach those people as well. So I started creating these workshops in my chiropractic practice on Saturday mornings called Life Skills for a Stressful World. And I realized that the patients who I just charged like 25 bucks and um, I taught people how to take their stresses and to uh, reframe them so that they weren't constantly at the effect like a pressure cooker. I'm here to release tension from your nervous system. Here's what you can do not to keep pressuring it up and making more work for me. You know, I, it was a neat thing. I always saw myself as a, a partner, you know, as a partner in somebody's health. Uh, in a world where most people just wanted to be fixed, they are looking for saviors. We're looking for somebody outside of us. There's this big bad villain called a healthcare issue. And there's big bad per there's big bad villain called a back problem called sciatica called migraines and I'm a victim to it. So if I'm a victim to this thing, this perpetrator called headaches and migraines, then I can have find a hero, Doctor Nima. He can save me. And I actually, full transparency. That's why I went into chiropractic because I would be I get to be. Some, some people were like, oh my God, this guy's got godlike hands. Your hands are godlike. And so to my really narcissistic, uh, uh, insecure parts, uh, I love that. In fact, I, there's a little secret that I bet you most chiropractors 
get into chiropractic because we really love that validation. Like having somebody come in who's been struggling for three months, three years, um, uh, three years, four years, five years, uh, no matter what, uh, they would come in and I would put my hands on them and boom, all of a sudden magical transformation. And I really enjoyed that. I enjoyed the, the, the validation. They would get up and go, oh my God, sometimes in tears. I loved being the hero. It was really amazing. And then what happens is if you've ever been in a situation where you like to rescue people and be the hero, it's a really neat thing that happens because very soon, um, very soon after, uh, after you've been being the hero for a while, it becomes exhausting because if you're not able to rescue them, then they then take it out on you. So if you're, you're the hero and it didn't work for them because of whatever reasons, and I didn't do my job, then I feel a low self-esteem. So my moods and my uh, mental well-being would go up and down depending on if I was getting to be somebody's hero or not. It was producing a great deal of anxiety in me. So I really was like, it, it was showing up to me like anxiety. And so I just started exploring that. This anxiety that I felt had me looking at my mental health and well-being and uh, just started studying the personal growth. And as I kept learning more and more about me, I would then teach it to other people in my, in my classes. And slowly over 10 years, those three-hour Saturday morning workshops slowly became three-day live events <laughs> that I would fly across, to make a long story, terribly long story short, I would fly across the world, Australia, Spain. I was living it up. Because I got to go and I would go and teach people this methodology. Over 10 years, I created a methodology that actually healed the root cause of stress-related problems. And it was really exciting because everywhere I would go and I would show people this method called the overview method, it was like a, I mean, it felt like a little bit of a cult because I would get quote-unquote followers they would come with me and say, Nima, you need to teach me how you do that. And um, it was great. I loved, you know, uh, first of all, I loved transforming people's lives, but also I got to be the hero. I got to be the rescuer. I got to be the one to save people. And I would do these, I'd do these workshops and I'd take people through, um, I would take people through, uh, oh, it seems like uh, internet's cutting in and out. Unfortunately, my internet's not working that well right now. It's been a, it's been shoddy, so... I'm not sure if it's it's working. Um, anyway, I'll oh that's that's crappy. Um, I'll I'll do the best I can, and um, uh, I'll record this and then put it on a um, my podcast. So I'm also recording this. So thank you for letting me know that this is uh, shoddy internet, um, but I'll do the best I can, and then here we go. So. <clears throat> Where was I? So here I am, really badly um, excited <laughs> because, oh my gosh, I found this methodology. People are flying in from all over the world to Maple Ridge, British Columbia. Um, and they wanted to, uh, people were, you know, and they wanted to learn how to uh, figure out this, this whole uh, 
overview method. And <laughs> it was like so cool to be able to guide people through this. And um, here I am getting like these amazing transformations with people and healing their health issues because we're going to the emotional root cause. I got to be the rescuer. And what would happen is over time, I exhausted myself. I was hospitalized. It, my body just became completely exhausted. And so um, essentially, uh, here I am uh, now in this moment realizing I don't want to be in the office anymore. I want to be teaching this overview method. And I met this amazing person who was, who was one of the, those miracle cases, healed her um, digestive issues. She said, I was celiac and I have digestive issues. She saw my videos. She asks me for, for breakfast. Um, I said, sure. Nobody that I would really, you know, <laughs> I wasn't really, I was with, I was dating somebody at the time and this person didn't seem like a, like it would be a threat. Uh, she was in a, a relationship with a woman. Um, and so I was like, oh, that's cool. And so I, it was just like a friendship. She was also a student of John Martini's. So we go, she invites me to her cafe for breakfast. I sit there and she goes, so what have you done with John Martini's work? And I said, well, let me show you. I've created this method and it actually helps to shift and transform stressful states from past events and heal certain conditions. And she goes, well, I have celiac. I haven't been able to have uh, bread. I haven't been able to have bread for the la or, or anything wheat for the last six years. Um, and I have this cafe that's all about gluten-free, dairy-free and all this stuff. And so I was like, you want to, you want to try it out? Sure. This is the first time we met. It was at her cafe. I did a session on her, took her back and regressed her to when she was in high school, when she had this really dark, um, this crush on her, her, her high school coach. Uh, so her, her cheerleading coach, who was also her math teacher, and she was completely dumb in math. She couldn't figure it out. Logic didn't work for her. And th th this was her words. And so here she is feeling dumb in class after lunch, eating really shitty foods. And now there's an association between her stress, feeling dumb in class and the food that she was eating. So that kind of unholy union has now stressed and shows she's got this kind of weird addiction slash uh, re resistance to this type of food. So in the methodology that I teach, we regressed her back to that time and lo and behold, here she is. She's now with tears in her eyes, reconnected with that younger part of herself and completely saw a new perspective. Her heart opened and... I told her, I said, here, um, I ran across the, to, to a coffee shop across the way because her place didn't have gluten or anything like that because she's allergic. She was deathly allergic. I go there. I grab banana bread. I come back. I say, eat this banana bread. And so she eats it. And I go, how long do, before we can expect a reaction? She goes, within an hour, I'm, I'm, I'm going to feel like shit. And I'm like, oh, shit. Okay. Let's hear it. <laughs> so I sit there and I literally waited for an hour. There was no reaction. And she's like, oh my God, what the hell? She's like, yep. Later on that night, I called her. I was like, hey, how is it? She goes, I have no reaction. Next day I call her. She goes, I'm a little bit upset. My tummy's a little bit upset, but I, it's nothing like I would expect. And I was like, bingo. And here I am 
this person is now validating what I have been working on, kind of brewing in, in my laboratory by myself, because people going to therapists and counselors, it just didn't work for them. They weren't, you know, just talking about their issues, wasn't doing it for them. And so I knew that therapy, even though it's nice to have someone to talk to and really validate your side, and, and, I, and I don't think it's wrong for you to do that. I think most... I, I prefer when people DM me to work with me, I uh, w- work with our team, I prefer that you have done some form of therapy, counseling or therapy, because it shows your desire, uh, your value for introspection. So it's a wonderful thing. <clears throat> the problem is, is that it doesn't reach the root, it doesn't reach the core. So we went after that and all of a sudden things shifted. And now she's forming, she now has this identity crisis. And she's like, well, I just created this whole cafe all so that I could, um, you know, have a place to eat. And now my whole identity on this victim to this illness is not there anymore. Like I don't feel, I, I feel like the story that I've been making up about this illness is now wrong. And I'm very inspired to teach other people how to do, do the same thing. Long story short, you know, that over time developed a friendship between us and then we kind of partnered up and we became, before you knew it, we had left our other relationships and just started glazing along this new shared fantasy of being able to, you know, uh, being able to really help teach this to the world. So it was a very noble uh, desire, but it also was, there was some shit in the shadows that I didn't really want to admit. I didn't want to admit that I had been arguing about this with my parents and wanting a deep desire to, to leave. And my parents thought I was absolutely crazy. Their concept that, you know, narcissistic p- Persian parents, their concept of what I'm doing, uh, they're, they, they're playing the contrarian, they're nervous, they're anxious. They're like, who is this person? And all of this stuff, I was, you know, there were red flags that I was kind of sweeping under the rug. Ah, don't mind the fact that she, her other business is eh, kind of not, not, on top of things, I wouldn't, you know, want it to go public, what she did on the side. Let's just keep that, mm, let's just sweep that under the rug. Have you ever been with somebody who you just met and you were like, okay, but you swept, you swept the, the, the glaring, obvious, like facepalm moment. You just kind of swept it under the rug. Well, I understand you. <laughs> I I've been there, and uh, in unpacking this, I really had to see that it was because I was so polarized and in in a fantasy that I really wanted my I really 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 wanted this fantasy. And she was the perfect person. She had all the street smarts, you know, uh, high end escort. She ran a escort service. So she's, she's a hustler. She would say, I'm a hustler with a heart of gold. That was the way she would, I'm a hustler with a heart of gold. And I was like, damn, like, uh, damn, I need a hustler on my team. Cause I'm just so, you know, I want to heal. I want to, you know, and I want the attention, you know? And then of course, you know, there was the whole sexuality thing that was mixed in there too. This cauldron of absolute beautiful toxic shame just brewing is a beautiful situation so here I am in that situation and I am now 
ready to leave chiropractic. And at the end of four years, this person who I was like, ah, you know, I'm not going to marry her. I'm just going to, we'll just play it as, as, as it goes. Fast forward four years being in this limbo, it had built up to this toxic mess that created this massive volatile breakdown in our relationship that, you know, it, it became abusive. You know, we were abusive to one another. Um, this whole concept of hustler with a heart of gold, I never for one second even considered because I was so deep in this fantasy of traveling around the world, teaching like my mentors uh, and doing what they, what, what I was inspired to do, um, that one day that I would be the one being hustled. It never occurred to me. Like it, it just, I was like looking back, it's like, duh. And everybody, it's kind of like in your situation, anybody who's closest to you, anybody who's closest to you would have told you you know, it's like after the fact, we knew it at the wedding, the clients we work with. Now that the spell is broken, because there's a moment where you're healing from all of this, you got to kind of look at yourself and go, ooh, fuck, how could I have been so blind? And then you go and you connect with your loved ones and you share. This is a very painful part of healing from codependency and healing from any kind of addiction. Uh, this is really, it's a spiritual journey where you return back to those closest to you and you share and you restore integrity. And then the painful reality when you hear them all say, yeah, we've been tell like we, we saw this a long time ago. We saw it right from the beginning. I knew it right when I saw her. We all knew this wasn't right. People, you know, the feedback we would get at the seminars was that was an amazing seminar. But the the dynamic between the two of you felt ugh, like gross, like I wanted to be away from it. And I get it. I was, I was so blind. I couldn't see it at the time. I get it now. I get it. It's like, oh, and, 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 oh, how humiliating, how shameful, how, ah, this is a really deep part of healing, uh, is understanding shame, your relationship with your shame. And when it all came crashing down for me, there was a moment where I remember looking in the mirror and feeling such a tremendous shame and the feeling felt as though I keep talking about this, like I was being stabbed in my um, sternum with an ice pick. That's how powerful this is, how, how powerful the feeling of sh toxic shame is. It's physiological. It's experienced as a as a as a physiological physical pain. And so it's no wonder if you've been raised with toxic shame growing up, you will form a wall around that area so that you can protect yourself from healing it. And it's really important in the context of the relationship, in the, in the conversation we're having today about codependency, which I'm, I'm, I promise you I'll get to, I just really wanna build it up for you to help you understand, is that the root cause of the root cause of the root cause of all of it, narcissism, codependency, is a deep, core wound of toxic shame that we either we have been building walls to protect ourselves from walls in the form of a false self in the form of a mask persona a character so that we can then be loved because if you were to see that part of me with this deep shame that I have 
then you, there's no way you will love me. You will leave and you will uh, never want to see me again and I will be alone and then I'll die because, you know, biologically we, we die if we are alone. Oh. This is very difficult. It was very difficult. Uh, this was the most difficult journey of my life. And I realized that I, when, when it hit me, I, I realized, shit, I got to stop doing the thing. I got to do the thing that's the most scariest. I, I, first of all, I, here I was. It was actually three Christmases ago. And I was sitting there alone. And three Christmases ago, I was alone. Just me and my dog, Lucy. Just put my place up for on Airbnb, going through a breakup, looking in the mirror all by myself. And I said, oh my God, I never want to spend another holiday season feeling like this. I never, like, I don't care what it takes. I don't care whatever distance I have to travel. I don't care whatever price I have to pay. I ha like, I'm 43 years old. I've gotten success in so many different areas, but I feel so alone within relationships. I, I've never been able to find something that feels truly genuine, truly authentic. And that's very sad because my twin brother doesn't have, <clears throat> didn't, ha didn't seem like he had that problem. Here he is. His dental practice is doing great. He's got a, a wife and two beautiful children. I love my niece and nephew. And he's not dealing with this problem. So why? What's wrong with me? Like, there's got to be something wrong with me. And so I would go to my parents and my mom and dad would be, my, my dad just wouldn't, wouldn't, didn't want to have anything to do with me while I was going through this problem. My mom was all, you know, I talked to my psychologist and she says you have attention deficit disorder and you need medications. You need to take medications. That's the thing. You have a problem with your brain and you need medications. And so... It was really hard having to listen to that while I was going through the deepest shame of my life, completely confused, embarrassed, wondering how the hell did I end up here? I'm a successful person. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a smart guy. I'm a good person. How the fuck did I end up in this situation now being like, like in this situation? It sucks. And, it, and I had to look at myself and it was really uncomfortable. And so I went through a process. I went through a purification process. It was uncomfortable. It was a spiritual awakening of epic proportions beyond and helping me realize that all of the personal development work that I did before was useful. The stuff I taught even was very useful, but I hadn't really gone deep. I, and I didn't know how because nobody really taught me. I met Dr. Russell Kennedy and I was... And he said, no, man, you're, 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 you, you're not going to, you're trying to think your way out of this one. You're not going to, you're not going to solve this by thinking your way out of it. But he did, he's a little bit kind of clairvoyant. He said, I think in the next two to three years, you're going to thank like the, the, this depression, this darkness you're going through in the next two or three years, you're going to think it was the best thing that ever happened to you. And I was like, fuck you. Oh, shut up. I'm in suffering right now. And he would keep saying it. He would keep, every time we would talk on the phone, he's like, you're exactly where you're supposed to be. And I started realizing the value of having a guide, having a guide while you're going through an Obi-Wan, a Morpheus. See, if you're healing from codependency and you're, you're on this, you're on this path and you're listening to this, um, conversation, it's because, 
uh, you're heal, you, you know, you're healing from this. I want you to look at yourself as somebody who's on a hero's journey. It is your journey, much like Luke Skywalker, Wonder Woman, um, Neo. This is really what it is. It's about removing the mask. It's about taking off the uh, the blinders and looking at the truth. And to, and the truth is not fun. It's remember when Neo, uh, when Morpheus showed Neo the truth of the way the world looked in the movie The Matrix. Neo was like, no. It wasn't, it wasn't pretty. So a lot of people, a lot of you who are uh, watching and listening to my content, you know, I, I do appreciate a lot of your DM saying what an impact it's making. And I also get the odd, you know, fuck you and, uh, you know, how could you and you're ruining my relationship and da 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 and, 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 and it hurts to hear that. But I just, but the truth of the matter is it hurts. Like the truth actually is painful. I don't, I don't, what I'm saying is not very popular. It's not going to give give me popularity because what you're going to listen to most of the time on social media is people ranting about how oh those narcissists they're so bad and you're such a you're such an innocent person you're blameless oh you're an empath they're the bad ones you're the good one and if you and if you if you disagree with me then you're of the enemy and you're a narcissist too and you're gaslighting me and that is we're going to talk a little bit about that this is one of those kind of common mistakes. There are three mistakes that um, codependents make that keeps them stuck in codependency and not healing. And the reason why I'm sharing this is as I healed this and I went inside and I had a guide and I had a community and I healed, um, I and healed, it's not in the past. What I want to tell you is that heal, healing is a is an ongoing type of thing. And so... What I discovered is um, that as as we're as you're healing, you start to define a, a, a clear identity of who you actually are, and realize that most of your identity growing up has been impacted and influenced and uh, infected. I'm going to use that word very intentionally. Infected by other people. To the point where you could hit your 30s and 40s, which is what happens to most people, and realizing, I don't know who the fuck I really am. Because I've been at the effect of mom and dad, of the church, of my um, society, of my culture, like an invisible fence, and unconsciously with capital T traumas and small T traumas like shame, capital T traumas, you know what they are, physical abuse, being hit, violence, uh, smacked around, physical um, physical abuse, uh, sexual abuse. <clears throat> That's very confusing to a child, but it's not, there's something more insidious called small T trauma, which is uh, the experience of being shamed, the experience of having to feel like you had to perform for love, uh, being at the um, kind of like an extension of mommy and daddy. And so a, a, a child who isn't allowed to individuate and become their own person with their own ideals and their own, if, if a parent resists that or blocks that, that's that's experienced as trauma to a child, but not with a capital T that you would expect. So these small T traumas, which I didn't realize, but discovered on my healing journey were even more impactful, were even more impactful than 
than being hit, for example, because it, it, it attacks the core identity, your core identity. There becomes a fracture of the core identity. And that's really what I want to start with really telling you where codependency comes from. Codependency at its root, the reason why experts and academics say codependency can't be healed, you're stuck with it for life, is because um, it, it can't be addressed because it's based on the core identity of, of what you've taken on. It's an identity that you've invented unconsciously without even knowing it. And so you can't heal your identity by talking about it. You, to heal this, I've discovered how, was when I looked at myself and the identity that I had created three years ago when I was alone in, in Christmas time, I said, all right, who do I have to become in order to have a secure relationship? And that's the key question. I want you to write this one down. Who do I have to become? Because this is where we must begin. If you want to heal from codependency, all right, you got to begin here. Who would I have to become? Okay, I have to look at that. Who would I have to become? I have to become a container where secure relationships could thrive. I had to become the container, which immediately when you ask that question, it creates an internal, what they call, what psychologists call an internal locus of control. Codependency is all about external locus of control. Somebody outside of me runs my life. I am a slave to the outside locus of control. To heal from codependency, one must change that fundamental context. If you don't, and you keep that external locus of control, which you can go to a therapist every week and talk about your horrific boss or your horrific narcissistic ex and keep telling that story. But unfortunately, that therapist is keeping you as an external locus of control under that context, of course. And they'll say, oh, yeah, it's because of your narcissistic parent. You can never heal from this. Well, duh, no shit, Sherlock. Not from that context, you can't. They don't teach you, Some, most of them don't teach you that you must, identi- you must adopt a new identity. You know, um, you must ide- adopt a new identity. And it's interesting because in these new identities that you adopt, you can shift your nervous system. Your nervous system must be different in this identity. Your health can be different. And this is why people with dissociative um, identity disorders, so, certain um, uh, personalities that they shift to, uh, that, that they kind of dissociate into like multiple personalities that they dissociate to. Some of them health have health issues. Others don't. What the fuck is that? (laughs) Well, I understand how that works. It's not spooky. It's actually once you shift to a new identity, by the way, when you have these multiple personalities and dissociative identities, these are adaptive. It's like I need to split and become several different people to survive my childhood. It's all trauma-based. Everything is trauma-based. So codependency, we have to, in order to heal this, we have to shift these fundamental mistakes. So the first mistake that codependents make that you must correct in order to heal it is number one, is you have to remove this false dichotomy. The mistake of false dichotomy. What do I mean mean by that? It's that I'm the codependent, 
this person is the narcissist. Codependent and narcissism are the opposites, right? And codependent is good, um, narcissist bad, you know? And codependent is the morally superior good empath. I'm the empath. I'm innocent. I'm just to please her. I'm the good. I'm the positive side. And those people are the negative negative. They're bad. They're evil. They're the alcoholic. They're the narcissist. They're the ones with the affliction. They're the ones who are fucked up. They're the fucked up ones. And I'm the innocent, blameless, ah, rescuer. Ah, it's a false dichotomy because what you under, what you have to understand is whenever we get triggered, whenever we're in conflict to make sense of things, our childlike self creates a, what's called a splitting, positive, negative, good, evil, black, white. This is where your childlike state becomes black or white, good or evil, us versus them. You're either with us or you're with the terrorists. You know, this is what, you know, the American government becomes during these things. This is what people become is like, they're the bad people. It's all their fault. We're seeing it in the cultural war now. With, oh, the anti-vaxxers, it's all their fault. Splitting creates a false dichotomy of othering. Can I tell you something about that? Splitting is the first, literally from the playbook of narcissism, <laughs> Splitting is the first reaction of a narcissistic defense. Let me say that again. Creating a false dichotomy. They're bad, I'm good. They're evil, I'm good. And we see it all the time in our Facebook community. People just dropping in the story of how horrible that other person is and how blameless and innocent you are. Boom, that's one of the mistakes of the codependent. What you're not understanding is that splitting like this is a narcissistic defense strategy. In other words, you are becoming the narcissist in that moment. You are playing the victim just like the narcissist does. And so what, what every single one of our clients who have broken free from the chains of codependency was the very disgusting humiliating reality. And by the way, shame and humiliation and mortification is a necessary part of healing your codependency. You're not going to do this by avoiding your shame. And, and it, it's wise to do this with a group of people who are all kind of doing it together. As I shared with you, kind of like you, you, you were, for example, you were listening to my story about it. You were having your own reaction to it based on what I was telling you that was very truthful and is very uncomfortable for me to say. But it is critical for my healing to be able to share that in a very vulnerable way because vulnerability, courage, and authenticity are the only, are your only fucking way out of this mess. I couldn't, I, I realized, I tried, I, I'm a bullshit artist in recovery. I tried every way to avoid dealing with my shame and doing all of the fake work to say that, oh my God, I'm so smart. I've done a Demartini facilitator. I've done Byron Katie School of the Work. I've done this, 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 this. I've done all this. By the way, those DMs from people say, I've done the work. I've done the work. I'm like, ding, 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 red flag, red flag, covert narcissist. <laughs> Believe me, I see right through it now. 
somebody who's a true in true truly embodying the work doesn't spout off all the work that they've done they actually realize it's like healing an addiction it's like today is day one i don't care what i've read how many books i've read how many courses i've taken even how many fucking clients that I've been able to help through this shit. If I don't wake up in the morning and say, today is day one and I'm here to learn and I'm not done, then I really am, am, am doing myself a huge service and not in an invalidating way, in a very poised, in a very powerful way. Not assuming that, ah, oh, I just got married, I'm done. No, 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 Nima. No, 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 Nima. Every conflict you go through with Diana is designed to bring up more of these wounds that because you've mastered these tools to be able to return back and do embodied intentional introspection and then return and, and cre recreate intimacy from every fracture because a relationship isn't a finish line. It's an ongoing work in progress, isn't it? Is it not? So making sure that you, every single one of our, our, our clients, our, our students that have been able to finally break free and go no, no contact and finally not keep, uh, you know, looking for the next person to rescue and really break those deep seated patterns had to realize that there was very little distinction between them and the narcissist. In fact, part of your healing comes from really owning that you are as well a covert narcissist. In fact, all covert narcissists are actually codependent. And when you really look at the history of what the making of a narcissist and the making of a codependent, you see something very fucking fascinating. What do you see? You see that it's actually the same thing. It's the same thing. Like, it's crazy. Like, imagine this, all right? If you are a child and you're expected to perform, serve, or realize the dreams of your parents and fantasies in exchange for affection, you're experiencing a love that's more conditional and transactional. You know, you, 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 you have to work for the love and attention, usually from a narcissistic parent or a dynamic of narcissistic parent, narcissistic codependent dynamic, which I've now really been able to see. It's really the same thing. So what happens is you have that experience, which I did. A child experiences great pain for not feeling love just for their being. It's this, this hypervigilance and this, the child doesn't say, oh, geez, my parents are at the effect of their traumas. I feel bad for them. It's not about me. It's about them. No, that's a small T trauma. Small T trauma that says, it must be because I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. I don't deserve unless I'm actually working for it. And so what happens is we... As, as children, we react with pain and rage to this unjust treatment, but we can't do a fucking thing about it because obviously we can't, you know, a five-year-old, six-year-old can't punish the parent, can't, you know, we, we can't go our separate ways. We don't have the resources. We are dependent on the parent. So in order to kind of close this gap, um, we have to kind of adapt and it can go one of two ways. Number one is externalizing the anger, acting out with passive aggressive rage towards intimate partners 
who are basically a stand-in for this bad parent. And this is basically what, what we're doing is we're taking out the rage of our parents on to our partners. And this is where this whole trauma bonding happens. And it's, it's a mind fuck. It happens. If you've ever been on the receiving end of, of feeling punished for the sins of your partner's parents, you know exactly what I'm talking about and you're likely doing it to them. And you don't even know it. I didn't. I had no clue. Right? So you externalize it and you act out in that way and, you know, you could become, you know, narcissistic. This is what, you know, what becomes the narcissist. This is how narcissists are born. It's like we externalize the rage. So, and then we, we go kind of say, fuck this. I'm going to do this my own. Or it goes the other way. And what's the other way? Well, internalizing the anger. Internalizing the anger, saying, okay, I can't express it that way. I'm going to internalize it. It's kind of like, a child, and Diana was telling me that she was working um, at uh, in child services with foster children, and she was just telling me this story today with tears in her eyes. There was a little girl who would actually take cupboards and, and drawers and throw it onto herself and injure herself and, and cry, and, oh, poor me. And, and, you know, you can imagine when you're a child and you're getting beaten so much, you you don't you can't abandon your parents because your survival is is dependent on it so what do you do is you harm yourself you do self-harming behavior you beat yourself up you it, it, what you're actually saying is this is where self-hate comes in what you're actually saying is i would rather take control of the hate and hate myself than to have you do it so then what we do is we internalize the anger and this eventually leads to depressive illnesses, to chronic fatigues, to chronic pains. It's like your body is doing self-harm and you don't even know it. And so these patients would come in with chronic pain and I would be adjusting them and I'm like, there's something fucking weird about these people. Why are they all the same type of people? And as I was healing my own wounding and trying to figure out my uh my relationship challenges and i put this together i was like holy shit this totally explains so many of my patients with chronic illnesses with with chronic pains and i'm like oh my god this is like imagine how you feel you're like you have this breakthrough and then you start telling people you start telling doctors and everyone thinks you're fucking crazy it's like oh great here it is again i'm having these ideas and the reality the world around me is invalidating my reality very much like my parents did growing up it was a very very traumatic thing for me to want to step out of of the current kind of mainstream and then teach this voodoo weird witchcraft shit because i'm i'm surrounded by a world that says who are you you don't have a psychotherapy degree you're not licensed you're not a psychiatrist and i'm like your psychiatrist not gonna fucking tell you this they haven't gotten there yet i don't mean to be grandiose about it but it wasn't until i met dr russell kennedy who's a neuroscientist, MD, <clears throat> who basically had come to the same conclusions in his own research that I did. And I was like, oh my God, I've met a brother who's on the enemy side, which I considered all medical doctors, my fucking bitter mortal enemies. And we, Russ and I still joke about this to this day. I'm like, Russ, you're part of the dark side. 
<laughs> you're so part of the dark side, aren't you? Uh, and, and I still joke about it, but he really is, he, he's an awakened physician. It, it, we don't see many of that, although there's been several medical practitioners, surgeons. Uh, we currently have three, four MDs in, in our um, cycle breakers community, which it's changing now because I was like so feeling invalidated, but I kept going, I kept going. And now it's like the world is finally ready for this at the perfect time. Um, and because your health depends on it. If you are dealing with chronic fatigue, chronic illness, Lyme disease, chronic pain, fibromyalgia. I don't even know you, but I guarantee you <laughs> if I went back into your history, you will have a story much like this. You were put in a position where you had to be the martyr. You had to be the rescuer. You had to be the hero. You got a great deal of identity from rescuing. It gave you control. It gave you validation, it gave you power. You said, good girl, good boy. And so you were validated for, and you were actually being groomed to be a fucking slave. <laughs> and that's terribly demoralizing to a child. So that rage has to go somewhere. The narcissist projects it outward. The codependent projects it inward. It's the same wound, the same wound. That's why when the narcissist and the codependent, you meet that person, they, you're such an easy prey to the love bombing. Why? Because they say, oh, I know what it was like to have a parent like that. Oh, I see you. I feel you. The codependents will cry and say, this is the first time I really felt little so-and-so being like my little girl feeling seen for the very first time. It's like he could just totally see me. It's like nobody's ever reached that little girl like he did. I'm like, exactly. This is part of the fucking grooming phase. You are easy prey because you had the same history. You are the same individual, only you flipped which way you go, you inter but, but you internalize it as the codependent, you externalize the anger as the narcissist. And here's, if you want to throw another monkey wrench to confuse the shit out of you, here it is. We also aren't one, we, we don't only have one part to us. We all have multiple personality, multiple personality. I won't call it a disorder. I'll call it a multiple personality order. It's an ordered system to help keep you safe. So you have some narcissistic parts, which I love to call your inner Kanye, and you have some uh, codependent parts. I don't know. Give me an idea. I don't have a your inner something. Uh, I don't know the classic codependent. Kanye is a, a great example because every time I say, come on, everyone, let's connect to your inner Kanye. Uh, so give me, give me an idea of, of what you think the inner uh, codependent should be. I'm, I'm open to suggestions is what I'm trying to say. So when you understand that this is where it all comes from, um, this is where it all comes from. This is the root. Now you realize, ah, we are exactly the same. We just have expressed it in different ways. And here's the other part is... 
the codependent and the narcissist, that's why you are so perfectly matched for one another. You are like a moth to a flame. You are like two sides, like you are lock and key. It's like a perfect key. In fact, when you meet somebody and there's just like love at first sight, ah, I really want the butterflies. I want all, guess what that is? That is this trauma bond happening. A true secure love takes slow, is slow over time and is boundaried. But when you just meet someone and then I'm exaggerating here, 20 minutes later, you, you know, moved in with them. This is a trauma bond. You are, you are perfectly designed to get together so that you can bring up each other's past wounds like a perfect fucking reflection of one another so that you can either heal this or it's really the younger parts. It's the weird twisted way of the universe to heal. It's just nobody gave you the toolbox and how to use it to heal. It's just, we still live in fantasy, fantasy land that someone's gonna come save us. White, you know, shining armor, uh, you know, damsel in distress. Like it's all part of this fucking toxic codependent cycle. And so the first, the first um, mistake you must transform is this concept of the false dichotomy. You cannot, you got to stop thinking that it's black or white, that I'm the codependent, they're the narcissist, I'm the empath, I'm blameless, I'm morally superior. Stop it. Stop. (laughs) Anybody who, this is like anybody who wants to heal. Now you can stay there if you really want to, you know, if you're a professional victim, uh, you're, you, you know, you, you identify yourself as a survivor 20 years down the road, you're still telling the, I'm a survivor story. That's fine. It's all about incentive. But if you're going to a therapist who keeps you stuck in the survivor mentality for more than a year, you are not healing. You are not healing. We have one, one client who, uh, she started last year and she's telling me last Christmas was just a nightmare dissociated from her alcoholic husband. He's got all these issues. She's the codependent. It was just a nightmare. They weren't getting along. She jumps in and is like, oh my God, I've only seen him as the abuser, as the bad, as the this. I had all these labels for him. I didn't look at myself. I was in Al-Anon meetings and those meetings, those support groups, well, although helpful, I really love that community, just kept me as a victim. And what I learned here was that I was just as much the code, uh, the narcissist as I was the codependent, you know? And it, the truth of the matter is the narcissist is a covert codependent and the codependent is a covert narcissist. And, and at, once you go back to the history and really get an understanding of, why, of, of, of the journey that got you here, then all of a sudden you have some sort of insight in getting yourself out. But if you don't learn this and you just have a false dichotomy and you keep telling the story that they're the villain, they're the bad guy, you're this blameless person who has zero responsibility, you have an external locus of control, and guess what? You get to be stuck there for the rest of your life. You get to choose, Neo. Red pill or blue pill, Neo? Number two, <laughs> as you can tell, I'm a little bit passionate about this. I am because I, because I keep hearing out there, I am passionate because I keep hearing out that, no, you can't heal that. Of course you can't heal that if you're living under a false dichotomy. But if you remove that false dichotomy and then you have the responsibility of looking inward, ah, you now are empowering yourself. Number two, Number two, mistake that codependents make. 
which keep which keeps them stuck is that you are trying to separate codependency from trauma. Codependency is here, trauma is here. No, 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 no. Codependency and trauma are pretty much like like uh, like together they're inseparable it is actually a symptom of complex post-traumatic injury <laughs> through toxic shame through uh having to feel like you were your reality was invalidated you know it, it's 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 a neurotic drive you know it's a neurotic drive. Oh, and the other part of the false dichotomy here I, I forgot to mention was that codependent is codependency is just as manipulative. It's always manipulative and it's always resentful. Resentment is a big sign. You're constantly resentful towards the other person. Rescuer, 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 and then resent, 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 resent. Because deep down, there's a part of you that wants to be taken care of and you've been abandoning. You've been abandoning yourself. So then you get... You project that outward and you're resentful. So number two is, um, is that people who separate codependency from trauma, I really want you to get this. Codependency is a symptom of post-traumatic stress injuries. Childhood events, abandonment wounds. You've been accumulating them throughout your life, just like I have. And many of you, just like I, ha I was, were living under the false pretenses that by talking about it, I could liberate myself from that. And the truth of the matter is, is that codependency, we all have it, whether you're on the narcissistic part of the spectrum or the codependent part of the spectrum, which, which way you behave and react to that wound. Um, it is a neurotic drive to serve, to submit, to subjugate based on a terror of negative emotions. It's this neurotic drive to get supply externally. The narcissist wants supply from the many. The codependent wants the supply from the one. And, and when, when you have these deep wounds from your traumas, from this separation, from, from unconditional love from parents, what happens is, is that we then become very, very susceptible to being love bombed. Let me give you an example. I, let's say I don't have any self-confidence, self-esteem, and I'm having to prove myself because I wasn't receiving that validation from parents because they were narcissistic. I have this deep need for supply. Now, if you come to me and you tell me that, oh, you're so intelligent when I feel completely low, I don't love myself, I feel ugly, I feel stupid, and you come in, you can spot my weaknesses. You know, the nar actually narcissists, it's not that narcissists don't have empathy. Narcissists do have empathy. They have very good empathy. How, how else do you think that they're able to completely hook you in and tell you exactly what it is that you uh, just needed. Well, because our vulnerabilities and our insecurities are very palpable in our physiology. They can be read very easily, right? You can hear it in somebody's voice. You see it in eye contact. The vulnerability, it, it just, it's just like you're, a, you're, you, you're easy prey. So when somebody comes in, oh, you're the most beautiful. You are the, the most gorgeous. 
You are so sexy. You're like, it's like I've never met anybody like you. You're like the best thing ever. And all of a sudden, the narcissist is turning you in order, the first step of bonding with you, the love bombing phase, essentially what they're doing is turning you into a narcissist. And you think that it's them that you love, but the truth of the matter is, it's actually what you fall in love with is not them. It be, it's the idealized version of yourself. It's the idealized version of yourself through their eyes. Many times it's the first time you've ever experienced self-love because you see yourself through their eyes and they tell you everything that you need because you don't fucking love yourself. Why? Because of this unresolved trauma. This trauma that has you separating from yourself, feeling like you're not worthy, feeling like you're this toxic shame for who you are at the hands of the trauma, the unresolved trauma, the unresolved grief, not feeling validated, um, experiencing, um, experience, being parentified by a child, but by your parent expected to become the, you know, the, the surrogate parent and, you know, parents getting a divorce and then, oh, you know, the mother telling the son, oh, you're, you're, you're all I need. You're the, you're my one and only, you're my one and only that bad, terrible father of yours. You know, you're the one that's very fucking confusing to a child. That's trauma to a child. And then all of a sudden he then experiences life. Like he's got to parentify. And there's this rage that happens, either becomes codependent male or narcissistic male. And the same thing happens with women. And by the way, it's now 50-50. They used to have in the research saying that most narcissists were men. Now it's diagnosed 50-50. In, in case you don't know, just take a look at Instagram. You'll see it's there. It's very prevalent. It's very, very, and it's very insidious. And in none of it, it's all unresolved trauma. And to start to blame yourself or blame other people when you don't get, when you don't get that this is trauma, what happens is you start to blame other people. You, or you take the blame, which is also part of the grooming that you might've experienced as a child being told from a narcissistic parent that it's your fault and given that responsibility or being told things like, look at what I do for you, everything that I do for you, how dare you go live in another city? You know, that this, this feeling of not being allowed to individuate is traumatic to a child. And that's the root cause foundation of codependency and narcissism and must be treated with compassion. When you don't, when you don't separate, when you try to separate codependency from trauma, you then start judging and blaming and labeling people saying you're the good they're the bad and that if you're if you do that you're you're fucked 10 years from now you'll still be telling that story i guarantee you but if you realize that that the trauma and codependency are interlinked now you have some potential now you're like okay instead of trying to go to counseling for my codependency why don't I do something that's actually going to be effective so that six months from now I have a completely different stance? What's that? I can start to heal my trauma. Bingo. Bingo. Now, 
there will be, I'm not, I'm not going to, I say this and it sounds easy, but this will be, if, if, if any indication or evidence from the people that we've been working with, who've been successfully getting transformation through this thing, through this issue, um, I'm not here to tell you that this is easy. It's actually the most difficult thing that I have ever had to do in my entire fucking life. And most people aren't, aren't ready. Most people say they're ready, but they're not. And, and I'll, I'm going to go over the, the type of types of people who have applied and have been successful and the types of people who just, it just doesn't work. So after working with hundreds of people with the same issue, including myself, and I continuously work on it because today is day one. Remember, today is day one. I, I know who it's going to work for. So I'm going to list the traits and then you let me know if this is, if any of that resonates with you. So codependency, uh, so, so, so to try to separate from trauma is a mistake because codependency is the, neuro, I'm going to repeat this again, it's a neurotic drive. You know, it, it, it's coming from trauma. It's the neurotic drive, which means you don't have a choice. You don't have freedom. <laughs> it's a neurotic drive. It's, it's slavery. It's a neurotic drive to serve, to submit, to subjugate yourself based on a terror of negative emotions. And that negative emotion that you're unable to process because of the trauma is guilt. Um, because guilt is completely intolerable because if you were a parentified as a child, you were forced to play the role of the friend, the parent, the co-conspirator, you and me against the world with a shared fantasy, you know, like with the parent, it's like, you're part of me, you know, you're really, you're going to be really good at justifying self-abandonment. The majority of the people who reach out to try to get help with this, uh, cancel their appointment. They no show. It's very frustrating. They, I can see it. They, you go up to, to the prep precipice and then all of a sudden you're like, no, I can't do it. It's like jumping off of the high tower on, on the, in the swimming pool. You're like, okay, I want to jump. But then you go to the edge and you're like, I just can't do it. That's what it's like because you've gotten really good at justifying self-abandonment. Because the guilt that you've been taught, especially, you know, Jewish mother guilt, Persian mother guilt, when they lay the guilt down on you, you've experienced that. Parents really good at laying the guilt trip. Indian parents do this beautifully. Uh, Persian parents do this. It's just guilt and no boundaries. What happens is it evokes toxic shame. You'll do everything in your power not to feel the toxic shame. And so on a conscious level, or unconscious, uh, on an unconscious or maybe even conscious level, you're still trying to win the love of somebody who isn't actually there, just like you did when you were in childhood. You know, the person who's abusive, who's selfish, you're still trying to win them over. That's why people say, why did I, why did I keep going back even though they kept cheating on me? Because you're still trying to win the love of someone who isn't there, like, like in childhood, these unresolved traumas who's abusive, who's selfish, you know, please get this. You're not a narcissist magnet. You're actually choosing them. You're unconsciously reaching out to them as a form of self-harm because of these unresolved traumas. This is all a manifestation of childhood trauma. So you cannot separate 
childhood trauma from codependency. You must address it at its root. And by address it, I mean to number three. The th- the third, which leads me to number three, mis- third mistake codependents make is to think that you can resolve all of that by talking about it alone. Jen, who's one of our clients who literally just is in the throes of I'm helping her guide through the breakup of something that two years she, she was being cheated on consistently, could not see the other side of it, need, finally found the strength. She's like, I've never been able to have the strength to choose myself is now basically unpacking all of this, unwinding it all. And, and uh, she'd been doing 20 years of talk therapy. And once she started doing the work in our program, she was like, I realized I was just doing therapy and getting validated, but I wasn't actually getting to the root. Not only was she able to break free from her codependency, but she went off of her mood stabilizers. She was like, oh, I didn't need, I didn't have a chemical, uh, chemical imbalance. I just needed to learn how to love myself. <laughs> I need to learn how to love myself and um, uh, regulate my nervous system. Why? Yeah, because we didn't talk about codependency. We actually addressed the trauma. We addressed the shadows, the, the wounded inner child. We actually addressed it, but at a somatic-based level. And when you're healing it, it takes very little talking, very, very little talking in this. It's, it's mostly, um, mostly feeling, which means that you mu- in order to heal at a body-based level, you must learn emotional literacy. You must learn how to become trigger-proof, how to take your triggers and turn them into deeper self-love, um, you know, people come in and they fill out these forms about their depression index, the Beck depression index. Before we get started, we take a couple surveys just to do a pre and post so that we can compare. And people come in in their in their process and they have moderate to severe depression. And as we take them through the emotional literacy and we heal the traumas from the past and teach them how to self-regulate, they realize that what they deemed as anxiety and depression were actually guilt, shame, <laughs> resentment. Uh, that's a big one as well. Uh, one of the big ones that you're going to have to do when you're healing that from the body is being able to get connected with your resentment. All the rage that you had as a child that wasn't seen, that, w- that was treated unfairly, that was made to perform to be loved, you must connect to the anger of that in a really safe container. But the problem is, is that if you've been, sh- if you've been shamed for your anger or your expression of anger was de- dismissed or denied, you will, have ta- you will have taught yourself and conditioned yourself to stuff down your anger, which is traumatic and it's now in your body and it can't release just by talking about it. I remember uh, working with, with uh, one of our clients and she just never had any access to her anger and she felt guilty about saying anything bad about her mother because she loved her mother. She had her mother on a pedestal, has her mother on a pedestal, complete enmeshment trauma. It wasn't individuated from her mother. Her mother was like, you're my little angel, didn't want her to move, gave her guilt trips for moving, doesn't have a sense of self. And she's been dealing with grief for two years she hasn't been able to get through. And the truth of the matter is she had zero emotional literacy for her anger. 
So she's sitting there and she doesn't know how to feel anger. So I'm sitting there on a call with her and I'm like, you know, you're allowed to feel angry for not having love that was conditional and being used by your mother. And she was like, ooh, and you can see her body just shrivel up and go, ooh, that doesn't feel good for me to do. I'm like, I know, that's the trauma. <laughs> your nervous system is telling you you're fighting with your parts of yourself. There's a part of you, this little girl who's really angry. And then there's another super ego that says, part of your super ego, part of your dark passenger shadow that says, no, you're wrong, Jenny, for having any anger. And so you'll gaslight yourself. And so you have warring parts within yourself. Guess what anxiety is? Guess what depression is? I know it sounds voodoo hokey, but it's 100% true. And I got to sit there and guide her. And it was tricky. It took us about 20 minutes for her to feel safe enough to surrender to screaming, you didn't give me a fucking voice. And she was like screaming. And so like two or three days her homework was to really process and do physiological kind of activities of anger to just move that energy that was calcified, ossified in her nervous system, Gal gaslit and said, no, you can't feel that. Of course, you're going to have health issues. Of course, you're going to have anxiety. Of course, you're going to have depression. But you know what? After that came through, all of a sudden, she sounded different. She would voice message me. She would share in our community. And it was like you were talking to a completely different person because she was now, she found the boundary, the shape of her younger self. She was able to express. Self-expression is one of the side effects of doing your trauma work. You start to self-express. You know how you're scared to tell, talk to other people because God, God knows what they're going to think about you? Yeah, that's codependency. We all are codependent in some way and healing our traumas is the way out, but not just from a talk therapy perspective. That's important to have somebody who's an empathetic witness listen to you, but I fear that many of our support workers are just keeping you in one story and not helping guide you into self-validation. It's very good, useful for the therapist to keep you... You know, let's talk about the same thing, but it's time for a new model where you don't have a hero outside to save you, but a guide that's teaching you how to work with your body, how to become emotionally literate, how to take these emotional flashbacks called triggers and learn what to do with them so that they're not running your fucking life. Because if you don't do all of those things, then you are at the mercy of somebody else. You are a slave to somebody else truth is you're a slave to your own emotions because you can't fucking tolerate guilt and shame and I understand because I was wearing that mask to cover it up too and the only way is to create your your own sense of freedom from this slavery is to live an authentic life live a life that's authentic vulnerability <laughs> authenticity vulnerability courage and you can't get that from a book. You can't get that from watching this fucking video or listening to this podcast. It's helpful, maybe a kick in the pants, but without taking action from this conversation, you will revert back to your conditioned slavery <laughs> because we all are slaves. <laughs> I feel like more Middle Eastern Morpheus. I keep joking, I'm Middle Eastern Morpheus and you're Neo. And you're here to unplug from the matrix. That's how you heal codependency. You remove yourself from the dependency on the systems 
family systems, religious systems, school systems, medical systems. And we seek out the care of physicians and therapists and teachers and stuff. But if they are already immersed within the systems that are promoting um, uh, self-abandonment, order and discipline, rather than connecting to your own fucking creative self, uh, which, you know, schools just kill creativity. It's all about conformity. You know, it's about gaslighting children out of their desires and their interests and telling them what they should be doing. Um, you must adopt a new identity. You cannot, you cannot heal from this. And so I want to give an opportunity for anybody who's been listening uh, to, to, to step up and ask a question or share. Uh, I know we have a few people in, in the group um, in I think uh, my Facebook Live just cut out because of the internet. But if you guys were here listening and this was relevant for you, I'm I'm curious to uh, to hear what you any questions that you have or any any clarifications that you need. I'm more than welcome to join. I'll tell you the biggest obstacle is here's here's the most frustrating part. The biggest obstacle to healing codependency is the fact that your excuses will all be in the codependency. You know, they'll, you'll, you'll, you'll be like, Dr. Nima is what I'll get. I remember, I know this one person with, with complete chronic health issues, like a long list of them, right? And she's a rescuer. She's a rescuer. She rescues, she's got, she's adopted like five children. Um, she takes care of the household. They're all young kids. She volunteers and volunteers. Her husband's business, uh, you know, went downhill because of COVID. And so she's supporting him as well. She's doing work within the community and she's just rescuing, rescuing, rescuing. And she's like, Nima, can you help? And I'm just like, I'm listening to her story and I'm like, well, here's the problem. Um, people like yourself don't ever get help because you'll go to a therapist and tell your story, but to get the high level help involves you actually investing in yourself. But because you're so guilt is so intolerable to you and so is self care. That's why you're sick in the first place. Um, that in order to heal this, you're going to have to make time and space to invest the time and resources in yourself. But the very obstacle uh, that will stop you is the very reason that you must. You'll say, oh, I'm ready. And then it comes time and you're like, ooh, I don't feel like I deserve it. But if it were somebody else, you totally would. <laughs> I remember one of our clients is like, oh, I can't afford your programs. But then the, the dog had a surgery. And then, of course, we don't hesitate to spend two, three, four thousand bucks for the dog, right? But then what about us? And I'm not saying, believe me, I'm a dog lover. I'm not saying that, you know, let your dog die. I'm just saying it's a really great indicator. It's a really beautiful indicator. Um, your, your biggest obstacle will be, will be so many excuses. But the truth of the matter is you have gotten really fucking good at justifying self-abandonment. You'll say, oh, I'm going to do it later. Right now is not the right time. But later it will be sometime in the new year. It's just not a good time. The kids so-and-so, the kid needs braces, da-da-da-da-da-da. And I'm like, yep, I totally get it. And 
this will be the thing. And so the only way that you can actually heal this is I, I, I took a, I, I took a, a list when I look back on the clients that have been able to get through these difficult times and leave partners that were abusive uh, or, or, you know, just not uh, aligned um, and say yes to themselves and find new partnerships, they have a, um, they have certain traits. I'm going to, I'm going to list them. Um, I'm going to list them here, right here. And so when I look back on the handful of people who've defeated the odds, I'm going to say most people are not ready. Most people will not heal from codependency. We have something in our application forms. Um, you know, if a per, it, it, it's about empowerment, you must have resources. When, when you are in a codependent state and you've completely disempowered yourself, you don't have a group of friends, you don't have a job, you don't have income, your health is shit, um, you don't have an education, you've been completely, you have six kids and complete, 10 kids, completely dependent on this person who's the kind of a tyrant, bully type of person who wants kind of like keep you at that level. And then you have to ask them for permission to be able to take the, the to, to receive the training and guidance it never works that way. So people in that situation, that's why like 90% of people who are codependent, uh, who are applying, they, they, they don't even make it through the application process. They, there's no job, there's no resources. They just, they're looking for a rescuer. And that's the exact opposite of healing from codependency is about you becoming your own rescuer. So it's very disheartening when I see the DMs with these long ass backstories and I know that it's like, all you got to do is jump in the portal. They'll be like, eh, because in order to heal, you must take on a whole new identity. One that goes from a slave to a master. But the problem is you really like being a slave. <laughs> you, you, you think it's really noble. You've now convinced yourself that it's, it's like a very noble and it's God loves it. And it's morally superior. And so you have tremendous guilt and shame. And so you, getting over that hump is, is not easy. So I made a list of the people who actually did it. And you can see if you can own any of these, then you have a chance. The people who weren't able to tick these boxes off just didn't get the results. What are the results? A feeling of a sense of freedom to love themselves and not be so worried about what other people think and then move on and choose themselves to, yeah, to say yes to themselves. This is, and, and to create relationships that are secure, to feel healthy, to resolve their depression, to feel connected to a purpose, to start making more money, to start leveling up, to change the context and the culture of the relationships. Um, Elspeth, who's, who was that codependent, she, healed she's healing and now she's in our facilitator program and she was in tears telling me how different this christmas is from last christmas and she was like like ticked off all of the the boxes she was like i don't care my life is at stake i gotta heal this and these are the these are the are the uh traits number one somebody who's actually committed to the process is like look i'm not just gonna try it on for a month i'm actually I have no choice. Like death is another option. 
<laughs> like I can't live like this anymore. So I'm committed to the process because it's going to be a climb and it's going to suck a lot of it because I have to feel certain things that have been intolerable, especially guilt and shame. You got to get good at feeling grief, uh, guilt and shame, grief, guilt and shame. So you're signing up to the process of becoming emotionally literate to those things. Biggest obstacle is there's a, you will not want to fucking do that. <laughs> Number two, to be coachable. This is where the covert narcissist um, really becomes resistant to the coaching. We sometimes in our application process, we have made mistakes and we've let people in who we thought were actually committed to the process and coachable, but were actually too much into their narcissistic identity, being defensive instead of listening and be and receiving feedback, even though it's difficult to take because credit feelings, feeling criticized is, is like, whoa, I can't be wrong. I can't feel shame. So sometimes you got to humble yourself and be coachable. Some people, especially if you're a covert narcissist, cannot handle feedback and are not coachable. So you got to be coachable in order to do that. And the people who weren't able to make it, there was a there was a lack of ability to take coaching and they turned it around and made excuses. And then six months later, whatever, it just, the results weren't good. And some people we had to cut off like in the middle and go, please, this isn't the right fit. So as we develop this stuff more and more, and as we help more and more people, I learn just as much from my clients as they do from me. It's a two-way street in this relationship. And so as I do this more, my boundaries are becoming better and better. And I'm able to say no to people that I wasn't able to say no to before. So this is my list now that I tick off. And we are very stringent with these peeps now. You must be committed to the process, coachable. You must be financially responsible and excited to invest. Why? Well, those who those who get, get results know that they themselves are an investment. Like I'm excited to invest in myself. Like I am that worth it. Like I'm excited to make me a priority, even though it's difficult. I'm, I'm excited. Like they're responsible and they're, they, they're excited to invest. If you don't have a job and don't have access to resources or you're, even if you, if you don't have a job and you haven't really worked for it and it was given to you, you probably won't be a great candidate. You won't get the results because you've been rescued. You've been rescued by someone. In fact, there, it, it's gotten to a point where I wonder now if people think, oh, you're just doing this for the money. I'm like, eh, if that were true, I wouldn't just, I wouldn't turn away people which I've done that we're get that we're having mommy or daddy pay for it. If mommy and daddy are paying for it, you're you are not getting the whole point of self-empowerment. So financially responsible and excited to invest in yourself. You, then you have a you have a chance. If you don't and you're 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 getting rescued by someone, you're hindering your own empowerment. It's not wrong. I'm just saying, what outcome do you want to have? You want to break free from this spell and you want to stop being a slave? Well, and become the master? Well, you got to be financially responsible and excited to invest because it's an energy exchange, right? Uh, you have to be upfront and honest. How many times do we have people who apply and they fucking lie through their teeth? Uh, on on the application, I can see right through it. They apply twice. They lie about their, it's just, 
And it's, it's obvious why, because codependency and narcissism is very manipulative. We're so used to putting on a false self that we, we hide our truth. Authenticity is not available to us, which is why we need the work, but be willing to be, even though just be able to call, call yourself out and say, yeah, I, I've been, I, I, I'm full of shit. Sometimes I don't even know it, but I'm willing to be upfront and honest about it. Uh, number four um, is takes ownership is, is internal locus of control. Many of our clients say, listen, I've been playing the victim all this time. Enough, enough. It's time for me. I'm, I'm ready to stop with my fucking victim story. I want to be the one to, to change. I, I can't expect to be rescued anymore. So takes ownership, extreme ownership. Doesn't mean it's fault. Please get this. The distinction is I'm not saying it's fault, but definitely ownership. And next one is to acknowledge where your weaknesses are with humility and open to strategic feedback. If you're not open to strategic feedback and not open to acknowledging where your weaknesses are with humility, then you fall into the covert narcissist category and you're going to resist your healing because you're, if you don't, because you, you can't be wrong. You can't be wrong. Oh, I can't be wrong. I have to be right. And that's the narcissistic defense. And so you got to be willing to feel the shame and guilt of being wrong. <laughs> you think it was easy for me to share my story of how I was just completely out to lunch? No, but it was, it's, it's a purification that's necessary for your healing. Communicative. A lot of times you have, you have to be communicative. Um, when you go into the fight or flight or freeze response, We'll, we'll notice our clients will check out. They won't show up on calls and they don't even know it. It's their nervous system. They got triggered. They go into uh, freeze, dissociation. So reaching out, hey, I'm dissociating. I'm dissociating. That's why you need community. You need co-regulation. You can't do it alone because you, you, when you check out and dissociate, you don't even know it. I know a couple clients that I'm working with closely when I don't, I don't feel their presence, I'll reach out, hey, checking in and like, oh my God, Nima, thank you. I was totally dissociating. And then I'll be like, oh, do this, 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 and this. And so we need a guide. That's how I got here. I had somebody looking at me and giving me feedback that sometimes was really painful. Um, next one is willing to get uncomfortable and face your fears. How many people fucking freeze? Oh, story, 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 story. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. Oh, I'm ready. And then I'm like, mm-hmm. And now, now I test people. I'm like, no, watch this first. No, 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 please. Can we get on a call? No, no, no. I'm not going to just get on a call with you. Here, watch this first. No, I'm ready. I'm ready. Okay, here. Click that link. Fill out an application. And let's talk to Kim. Boom. They no show. <laughs> Boom, cancel. Oh, uh, I have a lot going on. I'm a victim to this, 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 and this. Outside world is in control of me, so I can't do it. And I'm like, yeah, I've heard that, which is exactly why you, you need to actually, it's, it's a mind fuck. I get it. It's just like Kim and I are like, mm hmm. And so, yeah, it, it, that's why they say it's not healable. They say, you can't heal it. And I'm like, I know you can't unless you are this type of person. So willing to get uncomfortable and face your fears, willing to show up. Here's the next one. Willing to show up on the calls, on the trainings, the neural exercises, emotional yoga. <clears throat> and when you're unable to, you let us know because it's about creating a secure relationship. Letting know, not checking out. 
being kind of it's it's like learning how to how to love and how to have secure relationships within a container of people committed to having that relationship with one another with your coaches with your guides when you've never had that before um showing up on the calls present on time and with your cameras on most times people are like oh, i can't go on my camera no, I'm, sh I'm ashamed. My makeup, it's my makeup, not right. My hair, oh, I've gained so much weight. I'm like, uh, healing from codependency is really trying to get the inner voice to be more louder and profound than opinions on the outside. Yeah, but I care too much what people, yes, I know. That's why you got to turn on your camera and kind of sit in it and be present in it and practice being uncomfortable, sharing, hey, vulnerably with authenticity and courage, hey, you know, I, I, I keep silent on these calls because um, I'm afraid of what you guys are going to think of me. Boom. Congratulations. You're breaking the cycle just by being in the conversation, being present, being present. And there's one more condition, one more kind of situation, one more trait of the people who get the results. And I, Audrey comes to mind when she looked out to me and she said, I have to do this because I want to make a difference and I want to break the cycle for my children because they are at the effect of my codependent relationship and I'll be damned if they have a codependent relationship. And I'm like, soon as I hear that, I get this embodied ding, 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 ding. Yes, Nima, they're ready. Because becoming a cycle breaker is fucking hard work. Taking the red pill and waking up to free yourself from slavery is not kind of like a walk in the park that can, hey, what's the book? What's the book I can read to, to, to heal codependency? Yeah, good, good luck, <laughs> good luck. A book's not gonna call out your blind spots. Good luck if you actually wanna heal it. When you have a why that's big enough, you will step in and lean in to the difficulty of the climb. It's a climb and it's very, there's a lot of tears involved. There's a lot of, um, uh, exposing your shame there's a lot of fuck grieving like how did i not see this there's a lot of self-shame all of your old narratives of your unlovability and and guilt and shame for not being good enough is going to come up and what you're doing is you're signing up to actually change your relationship with it so that you can learn to love those self-hating parts and that's the best defense against um, codependent narcissistic drama cycles is somebody who loves themselves. Somebody who loves themselves can actually say no. Somebody who loves themselves can choose themselves and create a win-win situation rather than a zero-sum game where it's win-lose or I got to abandon myself just so that this person doesn't leave me and ignore all of these red flags just so that I can just feel that love from this person who's bombing the shit out of me, love bombing me because I, I'm so hungry for the validation and learn how to become the supply to ourselves. And that's really the, the path forward is you got to be committed to the process, coachable, you got to be financially responsible and actually excited to invest in yourself. You got to be upfront and honest. You got to take ownership. You got to be willing to acknowledge where your weaknesses are with humility and open to strategic feedback and communicative through the process, even if you want to check out. 
leaning in and saying, Hey, I've, I've hired you guys for this purpose. I want to make, I want to get the results. It's not comfortable for me to say this, but Nima, this is why I'm upset with you, which happens pretty much once a week. Now, be careful what you wish for Nima. I'm like, you guys got to speak up. And I'll now every single week I've triggered them. <laughs> my inbox is flooded with my students on when you didn't hear, when you didn't uh, acknowledge my share, I felt like I was being abandoned and like literally every day in my inbox. And I'm just like, fuck, why did I ask for this? And it, it's bringing up all of my shit. And so, you know, it's my work to be able to hold space for myself while I'm being what it feels feels like I'm being criticized so that I can connect with the little boy that didn't feel seen from his mother. So it, it really take brings home a really important point is that make sure that the guides that you're choosing to help you are committed to their own practices too. Otherwise, we will, because we're human too, we will, we will bleed our... Um, our wounds right on to you as a client. And I've done that before. It's just that I've gotten really good at being able to identify it and then say, Hey, yesterday when we had that call and I, you know, my, I, I got a little upset at you there. That wasn't about you. That was my mom's stuff or that was from my ex. And I just saw that now. And I just wanted to let you know that what we went through yesterday on our call. So what I remember saying to one of my clients, a couple of couple like a day after our session which there was some contention between us i came in and i'm like fuck <laughs> i just projected a whole bunch of my ex stuff on you because you're dealing with a problem in your marriage that i had i didn't even realize that i had it but after our call i sat down and i am and i went inside and i did the work and i realized that that's what came up for me it had nothing to do with you please let me know you know what that was like for you and then she was able to say wow like I was really, you know, really upset by our interaction and I felt like I lost trust in you and I felt like, you know, I can't trust you as my guide because you were bringing your stuff into it. And I'm like, yeah, I know. And so that I was able, I was able to repair because I know I'm not perfect and today is day one. And if you um, trigger me, which you will, because I'm human, I've signed up for this uh, because I'm really passionate about teaching this. Um, that I'm I'm committed to taking ownership for my side of the street while teaching you how to do the same. I'm only human. And so we're on this climb together. There's no one who's better. There's no guru. There's no one who's perfect. We're just like today is day one. We need community. We can't do it alone. And yet nobody can do it for us. And so this is my um, my suggestion, my uh, best wish for you on in 2022 is nip this motherfucker in the bud <laughs> because your life depends on it. And I'm telling you, I mean that from a clinical standpoint, from a health standpoint, from a relationship standpoint, from an intergenerational standpoint, your children are at the effect of your unresolved codependency wounds, your unresolved traumas. They are at the effect. Dominic is literally at the effect of my unresolved wounds. And so I'm committed to the process of breaking that cycle for him so that he has an experience growing up where he feels felt by his, his dad. I didn't have that feeling. Um, my dad's mother died when he was 14 years old and he didn't process those. So he is now stuck as a 14 year old. So when we get into conflict, he turns into a 14 year old and that hurts, especially when you're a child, 
when you're an adult, you know, so there's a lot of conflict that keeps coming up. And the reason why I'm teaching this to you is because, you know, um, it's very meaningful to me. Um, it's very near and dear to my heart. I, I wasn't trained as a psychotherapist or a psychiatrist or an academic even. So I don't have research. I don't have papers on this stuff. I'm a clinician. I want results. So I take from all of the brilliant academics and I actually ask the question, how do we tweak it and make it applicable to, to help a human being heal? Because that's my chiropractic hat. You know, my business was, my business wasn't just given to me, like handed to me, like in the medical profession. I didn't, you don't have to worry about new, new clients as an MD. They would just come in, you know, uh, but as a chiropractor, my business, uh, was only successful if I could actually deliver outcomes for people. So I'm obsessed with outcomes. So, um, I love working with people who are obsessed with getting an outcome rather than just telling the story. So I'm going to give an opportunity for anybody who is in the room. There's a bunch of people in the room. I see a lot of, um, Persians, uh, and Afghanis and Persians. And what I, whenever I see a Persian, I'm like, Oh, I know, uh, you have narcissistic parents. It's just the way that our cultures, um, uh, raise children as extensions of themselves as narcissistic supply. So it's no, no wonder why we all turn into narcissists and codependents. And, um, I'm just committed to breaking the cycle, not just for my culture, but for anybody. So I'm going to give anybody who is open and brave and wants to, uh, reach out, uh, and, and, uh, ask any question, share a story. What was your biggest takeaway? I went through a lot. <laughs> I had a lot to say. Um, I'm, I'm recording this and going to put it up on the podcast. So, uh, give anybody a chance to raise your hand and I'll invite you up on stage to ask a question. I see here, Renee, welcome Renee. Um, there you are. Welcome. my body right now for sure <laughs> anybody else feel that way <laughs> yeah it's what what do you think that means Renee well I think some of it is excitement some of it is um <laughs> there's I have a sense of hopefulness yes um and it's funny how I, one thing that has occurred to me recently, I, um, that when I get overwhelmed with gratitude, mm -hmm. I get teary-eyed. Yeah, yeah, that's I'm feeling that happen right now. Oh wow, oh, that's that's yeah. you're feeling gratitude. That that that's amazing. I'm so glad that that was received well. What that tells me is that you really received the intention of what I'm saying because. You, you wouldn't believe sometimes people get up here and they start cussing me out for, for what I'm saying because of the, they don't know how to interpret what they're feeling inside. And I'm super grateful that you, uh, I'm glad that you interpreted it as gratitude. That's, that tells me that it's landing. Cause I can't see your faces. I miss live events. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, and the live events have the energy that you can probably feel hundred percent. Yeah. 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 So one thing that uh, hit me is, um, and I've talked with you uh, and Dr. Russ before. Yeah. And um, 
we talked about my background as a body worker. So yes. as you described your story um, and, and, you know, wanting to fix things and over the past few months, what's come up for me, it, and it was due to a, a, a relationship with someone um, and, you know, pigeonholing either one of us. Yes. <laughs> is not what I want to do. But okay. um, Good. what I realized is that um, I, I had, I was trying to manage his anxiety. Yes. And that was something that I wasn't trained to do as a kid. Yes. You were, you, and, it's parent, it's called parentification. Yeah. 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 And so, uh, he really, it really brought it out in me and I have had to make some really hard decisions over the last few months and I'm proud of myself for doing that. Cool. Yeah. Thank and you for sharing. So, That's awesome. <laughs> but I know that I need to take the next steps and you know, as you made your list, you listed out the things that, um, the people who actually got results, what were they, what did they have in common? That was what, that was the list that, you know, you know, when I made that list, Renee, it was like in two weeks time, I had 10 people who applied who just were complete flakes. And in, in, like, that was how I, how I like, cause I'm really passionate about helping people and they share their story. I'm feeling it. I'm like, wow, they're excited. And then all of a sudden they freak the fuck out and run away. And so Kim and I had a meeting and we were like, that's it. Who let's look back on the year and see who really got the results and let's close our doors and set firm boundaries and say, we don't want to see anyone unless they are boom, 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 boom. We made a list of the people and now we've gotten clear with who we let into our universe. And that was where that list came from. It came, it was born out of pure frustration. Yeah. It's really helpful to me. And to be honest with you, I'm, I'm still in the place where I'm working on the financial responsibility. Yeah. 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 That's most oh, um, people. Yeah. That's why 90% of the, we get, I got about 50 to a hundred applicants a month from, from people in codependency. And most of them don't have, you know, they, they found themselves in a situation where they haven't empowered themselves. They don't have work. They don't have jobs. They don't have education and they want somebody to, can you help me? And I'm like, well, we have tons of free content on social media. Um, but first step, get a job, get you, get yourself resourced, resourcefulness, meet your, learn how to code, breaking codependency is all about learning how to meet your own needs. So you must first and don't, you know, do, don't apply or don't try to go to this level of work. Maybe, maybe you might um, benefit from support workers or counselors or, um, you know, watching YouTube videos, reading books, but build up your resources. You must you must empower all areas of your life, particularly financially, because that's why, you know, if I had a daughter, I would tell her number one thing is get your own job, get your own wealth, build your own wealth before engaging in any relationship. Because if you're completely dependent on them, then you don't have the strength to leave a really shitty situation because you've now set yourself up for codependency and it's unfortunate, but that's where I suggest most people begin. We, that's, that's where you begin Renee. So way to go. Yeah. And the thing is I have, I have a job and I'm doing work, but it's not me. It's not me and meeting, you know, right. Very easily. 
Yeah. And so um, one of the things that I've been working on and has been identified, it's like I've been the last few months, I'm taking in a lot of information from various people who are hitting the nail on the head for me. And then I'm taking what they're saying and I'm applying it and I'm getting good results, interesting results from it. But you also hit the piece for me about um, kind of getting into the edge and then pulling back. Yeah. And I, and so that's where I'm at. Yeah. And I've got a lot of people going, dude, you have so many skills. You're so smart. Yeah. yeah. You just need to make offers. Yeah. And then just follow through on those things and the yeah. money will start flowing in. Yeah. Because you're under like I'm choosing work that's not paying it's yes. tying up a lot of my time and it's not paying very well. Yeah. Well you're you're choosing work that's more of kind of rescue operations. And here's the problem. The very reason why you're not making offers and demanding more of yourself is because your self-worth is low, which is exactly why you need to do the work. It's a catch yeah. 22. So, so a lot of times what people will do is they will see the value of, I have people who are able to like, they actually find the resources and do their healing work and stretching the container of deserving it's called, write this down, stretching your container of deserving by really investing in yourself first. That will scare the crap out of you to believe in yourself. <laughs> that's how you burn the boat. That's what I did. I mean, that, that's how I did it. <laughs> I was dependent on my chiropractic business. I had like, I sold my business for very, very small amount. I was in a, my back was up against the wall. Um, mind you, I didn't have like three kids to worry about. So, so that is, you know, that's always a, a factor and I'm, I'm not going to step over that. I want to acknowledge the moms out there who are doing this. Like this is not easy stuff. I'm just telling the truth, even though it's some of it's harsh, it's the truth. I, yeah. I went all in and I, and I extended myself to receive guidance from the people that I really knew were going to help get me there. Cause I know we can't do it alone and no one can do it for us. So that's the catch 22 is of freeing yourself from slavery. Yeah. And I really, really, really appreciate that language use. I, I, I just, one of the reasons I wanted to come to the stage is to appreciate that part of you that cusses sometimes. Yeah. And the part of you that uses the work, <laughs> the really harsh work around the shadow stuff. Yeah. And some of that is around the language of slavery and yeah. liberation and freedom. Mm -hmm. and. And um, it's painful to hear hear that it, it is harsh, but it is for me. That's yeah. how I experience it. Yeah. And um, that's why I want. So I I want I want to get do it. Beautiful. <laughs> whenever you're ready. Whenever you're ready. You know, the uh, I, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. You'll see. I'll be. I'll. I will be in your program. And Perfect. Part of that is just to say, you know. Um, it's a new year. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I've done a ton of work to get prepared. Uh, and the holidays are often really harsh for me yep. um, for so many reasons. But here we are on the other side of it. Beautiful. You made it through. See, and I can see all the good work that I did last year that prepped me to come into this year and to just start making those offers. Because I, I have um, stuff to offer. And I think my, my one conflict here is that and maybe you can help me with this a little bit is if I'm, if I'm, I feel still like a newbie and I know that I'm further ahead than a lot of people yeah. in what I'm offering, 
but there's that part of me that never feels good enough. Yes, yeah. And that is the voice of the unresolved trauma. That is the fracture. That's the shadow part. And so um, the the only so thing I that I can... Anyway? Yeah, the <laughs> only thing that I can recommend you do is to not wait for that voice to be gone before you do it, before you step up. You have to do it with the voice of self-doubt. Bring your, in other words, bring your self-doubt with you. Write this down. Bring your self-doubt with you. Welcome your self-doubt along the way. Don't gaslight your self-doubt. Bring that self-doubt. Bring your fear with you. You know, don't wait for the fear to be gone. Do it scared. Do it doubting yourself. You know, um, my, my, my mentor, uh, Neil Strauss, um, he, he's, he's a 10 times new New York Times bestselling author. And he had a quote that he just said on one of the, her trainings. He said, the, different, the reason why I'm successful is because I, I always felt like I wasn't good enough, but I just did it anyway. So do it. Do it with your self-doubt. You have to. And when you're ready, do like... Do I admit my, that up front? Pardon do me? I admit that? Do I admit that? To yes. That, yes. Okay. Yes, yes, okay. yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Transparency, authenticity. People really want to see that in a world full of bullshit. People are tired of bullshit. They want to hear your truth. And if you're like, look... Like, I don't know if you were here when I began. I'm like, look, I'm a chiropractor by training. I'm not an expert in, in, I don't have, I haven't written any journal articles on narcissism. I have, I don't have a degree in psychiatry. This is my journey. It's like, just, just tell people the truth. And, and that's, it's scary because you've been, because you think that your truth is not worthy, which is what the, the healing process is in the first place. But do it scared, Renee. Thank you so much for sharing. Okay. Thank you so much. Big love to you. Happy New Year. Beautiful, beautiful. Wendelin, let's hear from you. Hello. Can you hear me? I can. Yeah. Just first, I just want to make a comment on what you said about telling daughters to be independent. Mm -hmm. um, Because that was something that my mother was very, very forceful about. Yes. And sometimes I feel like... um, I took that message to heart and became so independent that that's been the reason that I've had difficulty in my relationships. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that's a whole other area we can explore and not really the, the subject of my question. My mm-hmm. question is really around codependency. Mm-hmm. And I um, have listened to some of your stuff on Facebook. It's the first time I've joined you here in the Clubhouse platform, but cool. I've listened to you on Facebook and I actually joined you, um, on one of the overview experiences. Cool. And so I've really been, you know, looking into this idea and it really resonates with me, this idea around small T traumas and trying to discover them in my life. Um, they're sneaky. They're really sneaky. Sneaky. And so you probably do need help discovering them. And so I really appreciated the 10 traits that you listed tonight. Mm hmm. Um, to know whether I'm ready to jump into the program or not. And yeah. so there were a couple that I kind of, you know, were easy to tick off for me. Yeah, mm-hmm. I've got that trait. Yeah, I've got that trait. But there were a couple that I was a little questionable about. Tell about. me, tell me. And I, and I know, you know, in respect of your time, I was going to ask you to just talk about one. If you sure. could ask, um, you know, give some examples or ask questions that we can, you know, look back on our life to determine mm-hmm. whether or not, you know, we have this trait. And that's the one about being coachable. Coachable. I mean, I like to think that I'm intellectual enough that, mm-hmm. it, of course, I'm coachable. But I also know that I have a strong desire to be right. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Good one. So what can I look back 
beautiful oh Wendelin, i love it i love that you said that okay can i can i share with you some thoughts about this yes okay the reason why this is it okay i have a tendency that i really need to be right okay so here's my question to you I want you to, can I invite you to go into your body for a moment? Will you, like you've been brave to kind of share right now, but I want to invite you, can we borrow your nervous system and you be very real with us right now? Yes. Do you feel safe enough to do that? <laughs> I, I do feel safe because like I said, I've, I've you've been, you, I've you've, yeah, you. this isn't our first rodeo together. <laughs> but I, I mean, it's our first one-on-one, -on -one, but I will tell you that my body is shaking. Okay, right now. beautiful, beautiful. That, that's what I love to hear. That's okay. That's normal. The fact that you shared that, that was great. So your body is shaking. And so this is about somatic work. It's not just about talking. So let me ask you this. You said, I have this question. I really want to heal from this codependency. It, it's clear that you, it's clear that you have a desire. You're here. You listen for this long. You really want to nip this in the bud, but I listed these these traits, and then coachable came up, and you're like, mm, maybe I might not be, because I have this part of me that really needs to be right. Can we go to that part of you right now for a moment and just explore a little bit with curiosity? Okay. So what happens if you're not right? I have this part of me that really needs to be right because finish the sentence. Because if I'm not right, then I'm not good enough. Bingo. So sit, can you just sit with that one for a moment? And that's very beautiful. That's exactly what we want to hear. I want to hear that. How old do you feel when you're not good enough because you were being punished for getting the wrong answer or not getting it right? I think around 10, maybe. Beautiful. Can you just sit with that for a moment? And do you, do you have kids, Wendy, Wendelin? I, I don't. Okay. So how, can you just connect with your, your body? Put your hand over the area where you feel this alarm coming up at that 10-year-old at that self. Can you just sit with that for a moment and let whatever emotion, beautiful emotions that are coming up to come up? Taking a deep breath in and just sitting with the, you know, I won't be good enough feeling. And as you're there and you're feeling this not good enoughness, you're seeing the images around you that are making you feel not good enough at the time, your confused little self. What does she want to say? If you, if you could just kind of become her and... What did she want to say? What did she want to scream? What does she want to express at that time if she had every right to feel what she felt? I don't want to be smart enough. Yeah, beautiful. Say that again. I don't want to have to be smart enough. Beautiful. Just be with that for a moment. That's beautiful. Can you see how exhausting it is to have to have to be smart all the time and get it right? And can you see what she had to do to adapt to not wanting to feel not good enough? How did she adapt? What did she have to do? Overachieve? Yeah. Yeah. 
how did how how would she feel when she was you know receiving criticism or feedback how do, how would she react then because she had to be good enough all the time yeah but i that i'm a failure and i'm yeah. not good enough so when you're in a relationship with somebody who's giving you feedback and you have that running in the background how do you receive feedback <laughs> Not very <laughs> right <laughs> right it's just not safe to tell you anything right and so that person that ends up getting invalidated because you're trying to protect this little part of you that doesn't feel good enough <sighs> can you take a deep breath in and just kind of like can you have some compassion towards that little girl who just had to put up this wall of of perfection and rightness so that she can feel good enough can you see her with some compassion you've been listening to the trigger proof podcast designed to teach you the most important skill necessary for a dramatically changing world which is nervous system regulation becoming trigger proof doesn't mean trigger less it means learning how to regulate ourselves to bring us back to center so that we can then be governed by our purpose rather than from our wounds. Anytime there's reactivity, there's a wound. And if you're curious and inspired to learn more, join us at Breathwork and Badassery or the Overview Experience. And a combination of both actually helps you do the work. There's a difference between listening to a podcast and actually showing up live and doing the work with a badass community who's all about breaking cycles of intergenerational trauma. It didn't start with you, but it can end with you if you're willing to do the work. See you at the next perfect time. Now. Yeah. Beautiful. So what I'm going to invite you to do, and if you, you know, you can DM me later if, you know, I think you're going to be great with this. You're going to be totally fine because I can feel that there's been a really great connection. Um, but just DM me later if there, if, if, if there's an, if there's an issue with that, but you've just opened a connection with this younger part. And Wendelin, you are so beautifully coachable. I'm, I, I, it's so amazing. <laughs> I'm just letting you know you're absolutely coachable. So, so your concern about, I don't know if I'm coachable. You just prove that you are. <laughs> does that make sense? Cause yeah, we, cause, cause we just identified that. Yes, you like to be right, but that's a, that's your egoic kind of false self that is trying to protect the wounded little 10 year old who was punished for not, didn't feel lovable and, and good enough for, for getting it wrong. And, and so that's just an ego defense. That's not really who you are. That's just a, that's just a protective part you just created so that you don't have to feel the pain of that not enoughness so that you're, you're absolutely coachable. <laughs> you just proved it. And that's, that's how, that's how healing happens. There's very little talking. It was just, you just surrendered to the feeling and you were able to metabolize the not enoughness. And now you would have kind of homework for working together. You would have some assignments to do by spending time with that 10 year old. You know, this is Sunday night. I don't, where are you from? 
I'm in Austin, Texas. Austin. Okay, beautiful. So uh, if you're coachable, here, here's what I'm, my coaching for you is to go for a beautiful nature walk with your 10-year-old right now and tell her that no matter what, no matter what, she gets it right or wrong, she's allowed to make mistakes and none of it, none of it means anything about her worthiness. Looking in the mirror when you're brushing your teeth, putting her to bed, you're now reparenting her and the work begins after this integration happens. And slowly over time, uh, Wendelin, you're going to now start to feel that you, your, your worth isn't dependent on getting it right. And now this habit of hypervigilantly being right starts to soften and then it becomes safer to be in a relationship with you. And you don't need to have the person's approval. You can receive feedback and it doesn't feel like a fucking attack to your self-worth. And then your whole life takes on a whole new direction when, when that happens. So that's when the, the homework is where the healing comes. Well, I mean, it's all part of it. Right now, what you just did was very healing. The work you just did right now was a part of it. But then it's you're going to self-abandon right again, right away. But the work becomes to reinforce those new connections with home play, with your home play that reinforces it. So nobody can do that part for you. So that's part of the, you know, the work that we do, part of the program uh, to reprogram this conditioned self-abandonment for getting it wrong. That doesn't, that's not going to go away. It's a part of you. So it's, it, it's how you work with that and take that trigger of being right slash wrong to greater self-trust. So that's the, yeah, that's the practice. That 10 year old girl that experienced that trauma, I've mm -hmm. identified her before mm -hmm. with when our overview experience, but yeah. I don't know how to heal her. Well, well, the thing is you've identified with that and you, we expose that, but healing is a process of reconnecting with her on a regular basis. So that's where getting support like this, like, you know, actually spending the next few months saying, look, I'm committed to healing with that. Reaching out when you're filling out the application, you're talking to Kim, you say, this is what my outcome I want to be in the next few months. I want to feel like it's okay for me to receive feedback and make mistakes and still love myself. So we, we get specific with the outcomes that you're looking for. Most people in healing trauma work, they just say, oh, I want to heal my trauma, but mm, that's an ongoing process. What's the specific outcome that you'd love to re achieve in the next three months? Well, I want to be able to say no. I want to be able to receive feedback from a group of people and share very openly, vulnerably, and, look and risk looking bad and looking wrong like you just did today. And I want to see a huge expansion of that. So what's the incremental progress that you want to make in the next three to six months? And then let's get to work on actually getting you there. Yeah. And so, yes, you're coachable. <laughs> <laughs> if I told you, if I said, if I said, hey, do, is it okay if we go there? And then you went back there and then I asked you some questions and then you turned around and you just said, no, I don't want to do this. What are you trying to do? And you started blocking because the trauma was so much that you didn't trust me. Then, then right now you might need some, some further work before going into this level of depth of work. You wouldn't probably be ready, but you just prove that you are. Okay. Well, there's that then. <laughs> yeah. Wendelin, thank you so much. Is there any other questions or 
Yeah. Was that helpful? Yeah. Was that helpful for you? That was super helpful. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. See right. you at the next perfect time. You bet. All right. Have time for one more. And we have Christina Yentiar. Come on up. Christina Velos. Come on up. Hello. Can you hear me? I can. Welcome. Hi. Um, thank you for letting me speak. I think this is probably my second time uh, hearing you. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, everything that you're speaking about, I, I, I feel like I can understand it because it relates so much to my life. So I kept hearing about how we have a tendency to stay um, in the victim role. And so in my case, what I did is I left the relationship. Um, it's going to be a year in February. So that was uh, something I did to stop being a victim because it was not a good relationship at all. Yep. And um, so I feel like I'm on the right track. Cool. But, um, and, and it's just making me realize how uh, much more empowering it is to leave yeah. a toxic relationship and just to be able to get in touch with yourself again yeah. and to be able to reclaim my who I am. Your authentic self, and yeah. Of, That's the name of the game. Instead of, mm-hmm, because, you know, it, it was just so toxic. And you're right, it wasn't just him, it was also me. But yeah. now that I'm away from it, I'm like making an effort to unlearn all that. It's not, yeah. Uh, how can I say it? It's, I wasn't raised in a perfect home, but you know there was a lot of focusing on uh, you know trying to do the right thing or you know being the mature one or being the bigger person. And yeah, you probably didn't get, get your needs. Yeah, you probably exactly. didn't. Get, you probably didn't get your need your emotional needs met by parents who understood how to kind of. Uh, have you feel felt? True. Yeah. So, uh, so what, I'm wondering, like, what what's is your question? That, what else can What else can I do? Um, because I heard you earlier saying that, um, you know, don't stay in the victim role. What else can you do? What else can so what what, what what's the I, outcome you want? What's the outcome that you're looking for? What else can I do? Is actually heal those traumas. It's actually do do the inner work. And by inner work, there is a there's a huge distinction of what the the real inner. I'm just going to I'm going to mute you, Christina, because there's loud noise in the background. Um, The there's a people ask me, so what can I do for this? Well, this is tough because the, the, the programs that I've created are there to actually solve it. And, and it's tough for me to see somebody who's doing, they say that they're doing the work and they're actually addressing it from the root of it. And so the work involves embodied intentional introspection that goes into the body, kind of like what I guided uh, Wendell in there. It, you must get, it, get at it from that core. And the, the, the events that I have are to help people get a taste of what the work is, but you're not going to learn it from one event. You must get guidance on actually unpacking it. If you act, you first have to ask, what is the outcome that I'm looking for? You have to, what's the next thing that I do? Tell me, is there any advice? The answer is, what's the outcome that you're looking for? Well, Dr. Nima, I want 
for by by next Christmas for me to be able to feel safe in a secure relationship. Because right now, um, Christina, you just left this relationship and you're in this healing mode, which is great. And then you think that when you get into a relationship, the work is done. Well, my friend, that is completely so far from the truth. What then happens when you now have gone from breakup to now starting a new relationship where you're each both going to bring up old triggers? How do you navigate? What's your next step is to master the art of taking your triggers and self-resourcing and taking conflict and turning it into deeper intimacy, deepening with your mastery of your autonomic nervous system, deepening with the, the, the ability to really see and hear someone else while not abandoning yourself. That's a skill. It's a life skill. So what, what advice I, I give is just go all in, find a guide, find a community, and really stay in this conversation and decide where you want to be in the next three to six months. I want to be able to up-level my business and, and make more offers like Renee. I want to be able to cut, put out my offer and double my income in the next six months. Okay, great. That's one outcome. Start committing to a specific outcome that you can start to climb towards and then find a, a guide to help you. You have to first decide that you're worth it. The biggest obstacle is you won't feel that you're fucking worth it. <laughs> so that's why not everyone gets healing. They have to, it's those specific people. You have to, the, the people who really get those results are committed to the process, coachable, are responsible for their own finances, excited to invest, upfront and honest. They're willing to take ownership. They say, yes, I've been playing the victim. I keep reverting back to the victim. He's the bad guy. I'm the good guy. I, I want to break free from that though. I want to learn how to, because this is a condition response response from childhood. I can't just get rid of it overnight. It's a conditioning. It's like, it's like alcoholics in recovery. How, how are you going to get, how are you going to get over that overnight? And how are you going to do that alone? Right? You, you can't, your thoughts and your beliefs about yourself come from, are hardwired in the hardware from, from like slavery from childhood. So you have to enter a container where you got to unbrainwash yourself. <laughs> We've been, all been groomed and brainwashed in our family and religious systems, societal systems, cultural systems. Finding ourselves in that is fucking terrifying. And you're not going to want it. You're not going to be able to, let alone want to do that alone. So to show up, become engaged um, and hungry, hungry to learn and first decide what do you want out of your life? What do you want for your kids? What do you want for your family? What is it? What impact do you want to make? What do you want to, what do you want to experience when you take your very last breath? How many days do you have left on this fucking planet? Take the number 95 minus your age. I'm doing it right now. 95, grab your, grab your, you're on your phone right now listening. So do it. 95 minus your current age, which is 46. For me, it's, that's 49. Multiply that by 365. And that comes out to 17,885 days left if I'm going to live to 95. So what do I want to do with that time? What do I do? How do I want to feel in relationships? And, 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 and really invest your time and your resources and the content that goes into your mind. Only things that are going to help you get there. The biggest obstacle is I don't know what I want because I've lost who I am. Great. Find a guide to help you find what that is. So the very obstacle will be, be the very reason. So that's really 
not just your next move, Christina, but it's a new year. It's a good time for you to make that goal and, um, and really decide on, on where you'd love to be and then find somebody to help you. I sure as shit did not do this alone, nor can I do this alone. Our nervous systems are hardwired to, 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 to connect with people. So we need somebody to hold a space and to be an empathetic witness to our pain. So we can't do that alone. So hopefully that was useful. That was, that was helpful for you, Christina. Are there any other questions? Go ahead and unmute. Christina, do you want to unmute yourself? Okay, I guess we lost her. Oh, there oh, you are. I'm sorry, I, I forgot where the unmute button was. Yeah, yeah, Does that, was that helpful? Yes, it was. Um, I was thinking of exactly what you said about how much time I have left in my life. Yeah. That's exactly what I was thinking earlier, because um, right now I was just, taking a walk and yep. it's like so loud but that's one of the things that I was thinking is perfect you know all this time in my life I've learned things that are not healthy but I'm also learning things that are healthy yeah and Continue. I feel like I'm in a race for time because we are I know that our days are numbered totally don't waste don't your time and and, and decide what you want and go for it Christina Okay. Thank you so much. Yeah. If you ever have, Thank if you're you. ever ready, like uh, I'm already getting DMS from people. How do I, you know, apply it? My, it, the application is basically in the Instagram and my Instagram, it's on my uh, bio. Um, but uh, definitely, definitely, definitely find somebody. If I offend you or you don't feel safe with me or whatever, find somebody that you do and find someone that's not going to a, a community. That's not going to just, just, uh, for venting, please get this. Venting is not helping you heal. Healing and venting are two opposite things. It's not about venting. People like to come up here and just vent. There's a difference between venting and healing. And so it's important to share your story and be heard, but it's also important to learn how to get past just the story level and get into the body and heal. So that's really my best, my best advice to you. And I have time for one more question. Is there anybody else? This is not an easy <clears throat> thing. And um, you will have a lot of, oh, there we go, Cindy. Cindy NZ. Welcome, Cindy. Thank you. Thank you for having me up. I've just loved this discussion. Um, I, I dealt with codependency or learning about it when I was 35 years old, and mm -hmm. I'm 67 now. Wow. And I've had a great, uh, wonderful life, and I thought that I was over all the codependency stuff. <laughs> but, Today um, is day one, Cindy. <laughs> today is day one. Today yeah. is day one. <laughs> Always come and back I'm, to that. <laughs> I'm working on this massive project. I mean, it's millions of dollars. It's the School of Lifelong Learning. Uh, it's my legacy, you know. Beautiful. Leaving a legacy. And, but I realized I'm starting the self-doubt and everything all over again. Yep. And so uh, I may be applying <laughs> for your program. Just yeah. To well, this massive program. I, I'm really, uh, I'm really inspired to work with people. This is now one of the things that I spoke with, with Kim, our, our, our community director is like, uh, we're really looking now for people who 
want to make an impact beyond, you know, beyond just themselves, you know, like, like we get a lot of DMs from people saying, oh, I think I'm codependent. I'm not used to putting myself first. Um, I'm working on old trauma, but how do I get him to finally see that I'm changing? And I'm like, uh, okay, wrong, wrong. Like you're the, the intent there. You can see when they're saying, how do I finally get him to recognize me? The question itself doesn't evoke, uh, inspiration, uh, for me to want, uh, it's like, the question itself is not pointed in the right direction of getting him to see you. This is what the codependent will ask. When I see somebody like you, Cindy, that says, I want to make a difference in the world. I'm recognizing, acknowledging that I have these things, but it's beyond just getting this person to see me. I really want to use my life and my tragedies and my lessons to be able to, uh, to, to share my gifts with others. Those are the people that were really um, inspired to, to, to be with, to, 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 to support now. It's just part of my evolution because the other, the other style, this is why a lot of therapists burn out, doctors burn out because it's exhausting being with people who are stuck in that, that want to just kind of play, play to play and uh, to the point where they want their partner to be a surrogate parent who can finally see them. We want to get you past that to the point where, like in yourself, I got a lot of things that I want to accomplish in this world and I don't want to be stuck at that level. So that's really inspiring to me, Cindy, that you're, um, that you're wanting to use your story to make an impact for others. Well, this is what I wanted to share with you. Just um, it might be helpful to somebody else. I have found that all of those traumas and everything that happened has actually worked together for the good. Yes. And it's why I am the person I am today. And yes. it's why I can do this. So I embrace those traumas mm-hmm. now. It's like, thank you, Lord. You gave me, you know, some mm-hmm. insight. Yes. And take some work to get there, though. But it takes work oh, it to does, get there. You didn't just roll out of bed with that, with that realization. I can tell. <laughs> Uh, and one other resource that I had found so helpful was uh, Codependent No More by Melody Beatty. Mm-hmm. That just changed my life. I, I underlined it with blue marker all the way Perfect. through because it was like, oh, that's what happened. Totally. Oh, yeah. It's great to have it all explained so that you have understanding. The next level to actually heal it, understanding is not enough because that's on a cognitive level. To heal, we have to exercise authenticity, vulnerability, and courage. And those are muscles that you don't get from a book. You get that by showing up, by being seen, by talking, by sharing vulnerably. And so those are the parts that we actually, it's on the job training of healing. So that's, that's really, that's where, you know, the books are great. Get as much books, watch as many videos. My podcast is there. Podcasts are great. And to heal it, takes a commitment and I don't care if you I've been doing this work for 30 years I'm still on day one and so I'm really yeah Cindy thank you for sharing yeah and we want we don't want to pass it on to our children that's the thing and I need to know how that's why I want to come to you okay for your okay guidance well that, I don't want to pass it on well that's something I have a one I have a 15 month old now and it's a question that Diana and I literally are it's on top of our mind 
every single day. So I'm learning and I teach as I learn. <laughs> so I'm a student of this in progress. I haven't raised teenagers. He's got, he's not there yet, but I've seen my traumas show up even with him, him being 15 months old. I've had to address some of the stuff that he brings up in me. So I'm committed to the process and I love teaching the process to those who are willing to learn. Well, thank you so much and God bless. God bless you and happy new year, my dear. See you at the next perfect time. Beautiful. Happy New Year, you guys. I want to say uh, thanks for being around um, on this Sunday evening. Dominic wants my, uh, he wants some attention. So in uh, with respect to my family, I'm going to um, bid you adieu and a, a, a big thank you. Thank you for understanding, being so understanding. Thank you for the brave shares, especially Wendelin, uh, who came up and allowed us to borrow uh, not borrow, but, but lended what we, it's a term that we have in somatic experiencing when we're all kind of learning and healing, doing trauma healing work. It's called a lender. She, what she did was very beautiful. She lent us her nervous system and was very vulnerable. And that witnessing that, uh, and experiencing that as a, as a witness was, is just as healing as it was for Wendy Wendelin. And so I'm going to really invite those of you who feel called, who are scared, who are anxious to, to have the audacity to break free from the slavery, like really just own your shame, your guilt and decide that you're worthy. That's the one thing. Decide that you want to make something more meaningful out of your life than being a slave to other people's emotions and dysregulated because you want this person's approval the whole time. Commit to a life of a slavery-free life and uh, find a Morpheus, um, a community, and get to work. The world needs you. The world is a fucking zombie apocalypse right now. It has never been more important to break free from the impact of, of unresolved trauma then right now. So that's your invitation. And, and, uh, that kid screaming in the background is my invitation to leave. And I look forward to seeing you at the next perfect time.